0: And if you got a Bible, if you open it up to Exodus chapter uh, 25, uh, we are in our 28th message. But if you're brand new, let me catch you up to speed. There was this people of Israel, they were enslaved. Charlton Heston gets them out. They're now they go to the mountaintop, they get the Ten Commandments. Moses is still up on the mountaintop. Wow, that was 27 messages. Right there in that. And today we're gonna look at There is gonna be a whole set of instructions in about two and three-quarters chapters of the book of Exodus about this tent or what's gonna be called the tabernacle for the Lord. And so uh, I know it's hard to do three chapters and when I did this last time, two, uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, I didn't read it all. Today I'm gonna read it all. Uh, There's a ton of detail in here. I wanna just, here's what I wanna do. I wanna kinda break it Uh, And so if you happen to be following using the New International Version, I'm going to actually just use their headings and going to be following that. I just want to make some observations as we go through it. So maybe a few little explanations here and there, but basically just read the passage and look at some observations. Then we're going to stop and say, what was this all about? How did that matter for the people of Israel as they were just headed out? And Moses is having this Mount Sinai experience. They had received the Ten Commandments. And, and where, where are we going with this? And then, as people who are now followers of Jesus later, what does this matter for us? And that's where we're going to kind of head. So if you got your Bible with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through some things here. I'm just going to, just, just because it's long, I have to kind of make the observations as we read it because I kind of need to keep going to the next slide. So here we go. So remember, this is Moses got the Ten Commandments. He was on the bottom of the mountain. He goes back up to the top of the mountain, and here's where he's gonna get uh, more instructions. He comes back, he consecrates the people. That's what happened last week with with blood and in a way of the the covenant, and now he's back talking with God again. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for, for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Do you notice that right there? It doesn't say, from everyone I want a certain percentage or I want, he says, I want people to respond out of their heart, out of fullness. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Okay, so, uh, I'll just keep going here, one more thing. Uh, one more slide. And onyx stones and other gems were mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So what's he getting after here? First thing, what, where do they get all this stuff? Think about this now. They were slaves in Israel. They get released from that and they're now in the desert. There's no, you know, strip malls or anything like that. They're, they're in the desert. Where do they get it? Anyone? They looted the Egyptians on the way out. That's where they get this stuff. All this stuff comes from what they had taken as spoils when on their way out of Egypt. And they're going to do something with it. What are they going to do? They're going to build a sanctuary, and God will dwell with them. Now, This is really important. That's a key verse in this whole thing. Verse eight, I'm gonna make a sanctuary and there's something about dwelling. We'll come back to that in just a second. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like what I'm about to tell you. I'm gonna show you. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. It's very important you see that here. It needs to be done exactly the way I say it. I I leaned into uh, a few commentaries, but the, the one I really enjoyed just because of its Relative simplicity, but also it's, I think it's both simple and deep. So I really appreciated uh, Tukumba Demos' uh, commentary on this. He's an African theologian, and I, I liked the way he explained it. He says, God issues orders for the construction of a place of worship because the people are journeying through the desert on their way to the promised land. This place of worship must be capable of being packed up and transported like the rest of the Israelite camp. The different names that the Bible gives to this place of worship help us to understand its role among the people. It's called a sanctuary. That is a sacred place that is the visible center of worship. It's also spoken of as the tabernacle. The word tabernacle comes from the Latin word for tent. It describes what this sanctuary looked like. However, in Hebrew, the word translated tabernacle is closer in meaning to the verb that means to dwell. dwell meaning, or reminding us that this sanctuary symbolizes God dwelling in the midst of this. It is this tent, it is at this tent that God will meet with his worshipers, and this will be where his worshipers assemble. Hence, it is also called the tent of meeting. Finally, it's called the tabernacle of the testimony. No doubt, because the tablets of the law, which were kept, there, were themselves called the tablet, tablets of the testimony. So, The question is: Is when they met, they all all come out there, and God speaks to the whole crowd. They hear the Ten Commandments. They say, "Whoa, Moses, you go up and talk to God. We can't. This is too intense for us." Then Moses goes and speaks. And the question then is: When we move from here, are we going to have that level of intimacy with God? And God's answer is absolutely. And there's there's this format that it's going to take called a tabernacle. Okay, let's keep moving in our passage here. Verse 10, have them make an ark, uh, ark means like container, of acya wood, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fashion them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end, and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherub of one piece uh, with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark, The tablets, the 10 commandments of the covenant law that I will give you, they are above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Okay, a few things here. There's straight out of Indiana Jones, right there, okay? There is the Ark of the Covenant, the way it's described here. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. It has not been found, contrary to what you believe on some things on the interwebs. It is, no, you don't have it anymore. But this was what it was, and it contained, uh, the, it contained the, the Ten Commandments. And later on, uh, we're going to see if there's a couple of things put in there. Uh, I'll let, uh, I think it's Douglas Stewart. Uh, nope, it's, uh, it's still a demo, uh, telling us what is in there. Okay, so uh, a few things to notice here. First thing, this, this uh, is going to be placed in the most holy place. We'll get there in just a minute and it is going to be like a symbol of something, and there's holiness to it, and there's also God's law put in it. And we'll come back to that. And then there's this cover. And it's fascinating that the cover is called an atonement cover. So think about this. In there is the Ten Commandments, and on top of it is something we're gonna call, when you mess up on not following these, that's what's on the cover. That's what it's called, the mess up cover okay, and how that's gonna be dealt with. Those are important details. I don't have time today to get into that whole thing. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful in the New Testament. The word is propitiation. Whenever you hear that word, propitiation in the New Testament, when you read it, it's actually referring to this cover over the ark. Listen to uh, Tocumba Adema one more time. The chest will be the place where the two tablets of the law are stored. It seems that at a later date, the jar of manna, so later in the desert, uh, spoiler alert! But they're going to have this manna thing, and, and they're going to have to go through that, and they're going to put that in there as well. And Aaron's rod uh, that blossomed were also placed inside the ark, although not initially. Uh, they were, although not initially, they were placed before it. Exodus thirteen or sixteen, number seventeen, Hebrews nine. More details about the ark are given in uh, chapter thirty-seven. The chest is to be covered by something called the atonement cover. The Hebrew word translated atonement has the idea of covering something, such as a spot or a flaw, in order to erase it. This explains why the same word came to be used for atonement for sin. The atonement covers are made of pure gold. On top of it, there are to be two cherubim facing each other. These cherubim were supernatural beings with both human and animal characteristics, someone like the Egyptian sphinx. And they give examples of what that would look like. The Lord designates the space between the cherubim as the place where he will meet with a representative of the Israelites. At the time these instructions were given, that representative was Moses. But from that point on, it's going to be what they're gonna call the high priest. We won't read about that now. So we already, we already covered manna, right? Manna, we had the manna in the desert, right? So that, they're gonna talk about later putting that in here and then also gonna put in Aaron's, uh, Aaron's staff that is gonna bud and we're gonna put that in there as well. So these are the extremely holy things reminding Israel of things, and these are gonna be placed in the Holy of Holies. We'll get to that in just a minute. Now we move to a table. Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold mount, mount, molding around it. Also make around it a rim, a hand breadth wide, and a, put a gold mount uh, Molding on the rim, make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim and, and hold the poles used in carrying the table. Everything is portable here. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. So something like this is what this would look like, Uh, would would be somewhat of a representation of what was going to be taking place here. Let me lean into Douglas Stewart for a little more information. The, The tabernacle represented Yahweh's house among the Israelites. He would soon encamp in his large house in their midst, and they would encamp around his house, according to their tribes, in concentric circles. Not gonna, this is all going to become more and more clear as you move through the uh, Old Testament more numbers, it explains this. He himself was symbolically represent, He himself is symbolically represented as dwelling in the back room of his house by means of the ark. In the tabernacle's front room were several pieces of furniture, the sorts of things that represented the furniture of a home. Uh, though on a grander scale. The first of these pieces of household style furniture to be described is the table. It was primarily for food, a dining table of sorts, symbolizing the fact that Yahweh really did live among his people and inhabit his house in much the same way that they inhabited theirs. Now we move to a lampstand. Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its uh, flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to be extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond fa- uh, flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches shall be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that they will light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So something like this. Now, the Hebrew word for this is basically menorah, which is where we get menorah from, okay? (laughs) So this is the same thing here. And you see a seven, and the primary function of this is obviously we're not, we haven't, We haven't built this yet. It's gonna happen in a minute. When we build this tent, this tabernacle, this this house, it's gonna have layers of things on it, linen, and then on the outer shell, it's gonna have like animal skins, and it's gonna be dark in there. There's no windows. This function is extreme light is going to happen. Now, if you've ever done that, where you've walked into a pitch black room, and you light a match, it almost hurts your eyes. I, I, I remember when we did that, uh, I was spelunking in college, and we did that. You could see, we all turned off our flashlights. We actually did this thing, was supposed to be like a faith thing. We like put our flashlights like 200 feet away and then walked away from them. That is terrifying, by the way. I had a death grip on my flashlight. Must release flashlight. Wouldn't, it wouldn't want to happen, but I put it over there. We went over here, and one guy had a match, and he lit the match, and it literally hurt our eyes. So when you're in this dark space and there would come on these lamps, it would, it would be brilliantly light to you. Now, the actual tabernacle itself. Now we're in chapter 26. Make the tabernacle um, with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide, Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other two, other five, excuse me. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with the loops outside each other. Then make 50 gold clasps, clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Make curtains of gold hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains are to be the same size, 30 cubits long, four cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together into one set and the other six into the another set. Fold the sixth curtain double at the front of the tent. Make 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain in the other set. Then make 50 bronze clasps and put them in the loops to fasten the tent together as a unit. Obviously at this point in time you're already saying, there's a lot of detail here, there is. There is. God, and this, this will be significant uh, uh, as we look at, God says, make this exactly the way I said it. Okay, we'll come back to that later. As for the additional length of the tent curtains, the half curtain that is left over is to hang down at the rear of the tabernacle. The tent curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ramskins. So we have an outer thing, dried like, like, a, like a roof, kind of. And over that, a covering of other durable leather. Make upright frames of achia wood excuse me, for the tabernacle. Each frame is to be 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide with two projections set parallel to each other. Make all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. Make 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle and make 40 silver bases to go under them, two bases for each frame one under each projection. From the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, make 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. Make six frames for the far end, that is, the west end of the tabernacle, and make two frames for the corners at the far end. At these two corners they must uh, be double from the bottom all the way to the top and fit it into a single ring, both shall be like that. So there will be eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. Also make crossbars of Achaea wood, Five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for the other side, and five for the frames on the west, at the far end of the tabernacle. The center crossbars do to extend from end to end at the middle of the frames. Overlay the frames with gold and make gold rings to hold the crossbars. Also, overlay the crossbars with gold. Set up for the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Now, I'm not done. There's still more. Just, just, did you hear that? Set it up. now. I'm going to come back to this, but you just have to hear it again here. If you're reading your Bible, reading your Bible, and you're going, why does Moses include all this? Why doesn't he just say, I got a bunch of plans from God. It's in the addendum. If you want to look at that, it's a footnote. Okay? There's a reason, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Okay, here we go. Make a, certain, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen and cherubim woven into a... By a skilled worker, hang, with, hang it with gold hooks on four posts of aichia a- a- wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant Law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. There's a curtain, and behind this is gonna be what's called the most holy place, or what later will be called the holy of holies, okay? And when, we get to, when this thing gets rebuilt in a permanent structure called the temple. Put the atonement cover on the, of the, on the Ark of the Covenant Law in the midst of uh, the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and place the lampstand opposite on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of Achaea wood, acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. That's the tabernacle there's a picture okay you're like thank you right there's a picture I get it I get it. it's hard I'm a professional Christian and it's hard for me to read through this stuff there's the tabernacle we're going to see later in just a minute we're going to read about this courtyard that's supposed to be there too so just for the sake of time don't look at that one uh, but the if you see here we're going to have courtyards all kinds of people are involved you're allowed there but only priests are gonna be allowed actually into this tent, this sanctuary, the tent of meeting, the, the tabernacle. Inside there, you can kind of get pictures. And they've got a kind of a cutaway there. That, that uh, curtain would go all the way, and the whole thing would be pulled back. So the most holy place in the back, and the front would be the Holy of Holy, or excuse me, the most holy place or Holy of Holies. Only the high priest would get to go in there, and only once a year. On Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And the front there, you have the holy place, and that's where uh, only priests are going to be allowed to to go. So the courtyard is for the common, everybody else, everybody else, uh, the the priests get to go inside. Okay. Very important here, you hear about this veil, though. This is huge. Uh, The curtain or veil separates the holy place from the most holy place. It is to be identical to the inner cover as regards the fabric and color and its decoration with cherubim. It is to be supported on gold hooks attached to the post made of acya wood overlaid with gold. The use of only the highest quality materials here stresses that this is an extremely important part of the tabernacle. So does having this area symbolically guarded by angels, cherubim. The most holy place, was not to be entered by the priests, and even the high priest could not go there whenever he wished. We'll read about that later in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. It was the place where the ark rested, which symbolized the holy presence of God and was the place where God would meet with the representatives of his people. It was screened off to emphasize the distance between the holy God and his worshipers. That's the point. There's a distance here. So, a few more pieces to the actual tabernacle. The altar. Build an altar of, should have looked up how to say this thing. Thank you. (laughs) Went to public school, sorry. Public seminary too, I guess. <laughs> Acacia, thank you. Acacia wood. Three cubits high. The other thing that hit me is, I don't know how big a cubit is right now. How big is a cubit? A little over a yard? That's, okay. I'm it's been a rough week, I'm not gonna lie. So. Three cubits high. It is to be square. Five cubits long and five cubits wide. It's a bummer when you're preaching and you realize these are things I forgot to look up. <laughs> we'll use second service audio today. Anyway, um, make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece, and overlay the altar with bronze. Okay. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pants. Make a grafting fort, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of, thank you, wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the ring so that they will be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow out of bounds. Out of boards, uh, it is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Exactly, I want it just like this. It's really important. It's going to look something like this, and it's put on the courtyard. That's some, that's really important. It's accessible to the people. They can come there to have us have this way that they can have sacrifices for their sins. So that's very important theologically, that the average person could come to this. It wasn't unacceptable, unaccessible to them. Then lastly, the courtyard. Make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be 100 cubits long, and it, it is to have a curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side shall also be 100 cubits long, and it, it is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and, uh, and ands on the posts. Uh, it's a typo. The, the, worst, uh, the west end of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases. On the east end, toward the sunrise, the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Uh, Curtains 15 cubits long are to be on one side of the entrance with three posts and three bases, and curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. For the entrance to the courtyard, provide a curtain 20 cubits long of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer with four posts and four bases. All the posts around the courtyard are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide with with curtains of finely twisted linen 5 cubits high and with bronze bases. All the other articles are to be are, are used in the service of the tabernacle whatever their function including all the tent pegs for it and those in the courtyard are to be of bronze. And here's a look at what the courtyard would be and I kind of saw it before but there's this area and people are allowed to go there. Everyone's allowed to go into this courtyard. To know that God is with them. Now, what was the point of all this? What's the point? There's a lot of points. I'm gonna just highlight three. Three that you can already kind of see as we've walked through this. First one God's presence. They know that this same God who is with them, the same intensity that He was with them at Mount Sinai, God is is going to be with them. However, they weren't allowed in the tabernacle. Only the intermediaries were allowed into the actual tabernacle, and only the high priest once a year was allowed into the holy of holies or the most holy place. So that brings me to the second point. What does it communicate? Holiness. In other words, it means otherness. Whatever your picture of God is this morning, it ain't anywhere near big enough. He is awesome. He is other. And in our culture where we just kind of define God as it's cool however you want to define him, God says, I am. That's what this communicates. And when you are around that, it brings out the third thing, which is we are not that. And because we're fallen people, we realize not only are we not God, there's something different, not only in quality, but in quantity. Why would you put in the Holy of Holies 10 rules? Think about that. God does not exist so that you feel guilty about breaking rules. So, why are they there? Because presence, his presence, precedes. Law. But he wants you to know, listen, this is who I am and you're not. That's what this screams to us. That's what this screams to us. And it was a daily reminder to them all the time. Does it do more than that? You better believe it. it does a lot more than that. But this is, it was a place of worship. It was a community thing. It, it allowed them to identify as a people. There's all kinds of things. But just, these are the big things. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this mean as people who now live on this side of Jesus Christ? And even though this is a wonderful facility, it's not a tabernacle. It's not in that sense. Let's take a look. First thing, very important. When you you read the Old Testament like that, it's such a basis, so when you read the New Testament, you go, oh my goodness. You're going to get the point if you've never read the Old Testament, of the New Testament, by and large, but you're going to go, whoa. John chapter 1, the Gospel uh, of John starts off by saying the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Some people say that this possibly is referring to the lampstand. It could be. It could be. I, I think it's a little bit of a push to say that for sure. But it certainly was, like that illustration I gave, very illuminative. Christ was now very much an illumination in a very dark situation. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't even recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But yet to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here it is. The word became flesh and made his, what's the next word? Tabernacle among us, his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, what kind of glory? The glory in the Holy of Holies' glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, when he walks the earth, he is the Holy of Holies walking the earth. Now, what does this do about us? I'm using an obscure passage, but it has the word tabernacle in it, so I had to. Uh, Revelation 15 says this, and again, I'm not gonna go into all what Revelation's talking about. Uh, It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's interesting, right, of course. But he's making some points here. And before we get into all of the nitty gritty of what's happening here, there's some points that are just universal. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, they were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests, okay? So out of this temple, or again, the temple is just gonna be the permanent structure of what this temporary one, the, kind of the shorthand one, uh, the tabernacle was. So later when they get into the promised land, they're gonna build a temple, all right? And so comes out, and these seven angels come, and they come with what? They come with plagues. Then he says, then one of the four living creatures, previous, there's four living creatures, one of them, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So what's going on here? Lots going on here. There's all this imagery, and it's a lot of imagery. But what's happening? They're coming out of the tabernacle, and what are they handed? They're handed this bowl of wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is white-hot anger towards sin. So they come out. They come out of where the, where the testimony was, and they come out, and there's anger towards sin. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. And then look at this. Matthew chapter 27. At the death of Jesus, look what happens. Immediately... One of them, one of the people that were there at the crucifixion of Jesus, ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That is not just symbolic, like, oh wow, there was a lot of things that must have happened. It is God saying, My holy presence can now be dwelt among sinful people because the Holy One has paid for their sin. That verse, verse 51, should have us on our faces in worship this morning. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with them who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, unbelievers say, surely he was the son of God. Now what does that do? That opens the way for us. Right into the holy of holies, the very presence of God. Now, the book of Hebrews teaches what God was actually up to when he used this saying, you make sure you do it exactly the way I tell you. And, and, and whoever wrote Hebrews says, now the main point of what we're trying to say is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary. The true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one, Jesus, also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there were already priests who had the gifts prescribed by the law. They served at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven, the reality. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Moses, you need to do it exactly the way I say it. Why? Because it is going to be the shadow and the, and the copy of the reality that is coming in Jesus Christ. And it is going to set them up to see my presence, my holiness, and our sinfulness, or their sinfulness, that they need me. So that leads us then to the end of the book. Whoops. But in fact, this ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. And here we come to the end of the book. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's, next phrase, tabernacle. God's being with you. His presence is now among the people and he will dwell. He will tabernacle with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. That's the point. That's why we're followers of Jesus. It's not so that we follow the rules right. Right? It's not so we can look at our neighbor and go, you know, I live more morally than you. You don't. I know you, okay? I know me. The point of everything is to get behind that curtain and be with God. That's the point. That's why you're here. When I'm on vacation, I visit churches. And it's hard as a pastor to visit churches. Believe me, you walk in the door and you're critical of 10,000 things. You walk in that door and I say, oh my gosh, why is the carpet blue? (laughs) Oh my gosh, why do they sing that song? Oh, they sang it way too slow, too fast, too loud, too soft. Oh my gosh, why can't the pastor pronounce akia, kakia, atia? Until about 10 years ago, a friend of mine told me, his pastor friend, he said, You know, bro, when I visit churches, I have to walk in the door and I have to put my hand on the, on the door handle and say this I'm here to meet with God. And I better keep that central. Hope Community Church, I invite you to meet with God. We're gonna spend some time in worship. I invite you to meet with God. We're gonna have communion, and a communion is a symbol of meeting with God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, we wanna to invite you to this table. This table is for people who've, who've bent their knee to Jesus and said yes to him as Savior, Lord, and guide for living. If that's you today, we want to invite you to come forward or uh, on both sides, up and down. Uh, On the corners, there are tables at many places. I can't guarantee every place it's summer, but we try to put people who would love to pray with you so you can meet with God. Back in this corner, up and down, I believe still are gluten-free if they had dietary needs. You can feel free to do that. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, why not? Why not take our gospel application and say, I want to live so that I will be in the presence of God. And I can't do that unless I have a savior. I can't do that unless somebody tears that curtain in two for me. Let's pray together. Jesus, no matter how many times we are able to come together on the first of the month and move to communion, it is sweet and we cannot take this We cannot enter worship with you. We cannot enter into your presence. Or one day, face-to-face presence without you, Jesus. You are the great high priest. You are the one who sacrificed yourself on that altar so that our sins could be taken care of for all who call on the name of the Lord. So I pray this morning for folks in this room who this morning, for the first time in their lives, they need to say yes to you. They need to say yes to you. And I pray right now, where they're sitting, you just give them the courage to say that. And I pray for others in this room, no matter what they're going through, I know the answer. And the answer is the presence of God. So Jesus, would you be near Would you envelop those who are hurting this morning? Would you help those and call back those who are running away from you? Do this work, Lord, because you love us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.